Amen. Well, it's good to see you, be with you uh, today. Uh, some of you guys at home watching, glad you guys are joining us as well. Uh, if you're able to watch right now and I look good, that is because of the hard work of a lot of people behind the scene like Keith Brody and Matt Black. What an amazing job they've done to finally get our online service up and going. So thank you guys for that. That has been a work in progress, but man, it looks good from what I've heard. It takes a lot of work to make me look good on TV or period. So I'm changing my sermon up now. I guess this how this group's going. Debbie, you front row Baptist now. I expect more out of you. I'm just saying. So I want to thank you guys for getting up and dancing around for our kids' stuff. Uh, I know that might, some of you guys say, what's all about? We're all about families. We, we believe in ministering to families as a whole. And definitely in this time and season, just period, we, we don't want kids to feel like they have to come to service. You're a part of our service. And so we want to build that in. So thank you for being that. Expect more of that. I'm just telling you, we, we love that. Uh, and uh, if kids make noise, scream or make noise, hey, I love that too. Don't let that bother you one bit. And if they're not enjoying it, that's my failure as a pastor right here. So you can write me letters saying you need to do a better job uh, at doing this. And those of you at home, uh, same thing with you kids. I hope you guys are getting after it. I hope the Donald family is dancing around when you guys are watching this on TV. So anyways, all that to be said, hope you guys are doing well. We're going to continue in Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 15 where we left off last time. And so hopefully you're getting your Bibles there. Now, it's a little smaller crowd, so I expect more interaction, more discussion going, and you need to make me know, let me know you're alive in here, okay? So, uh, first, uh, yeah, so Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 15, as uh, we will be, and we'll unpack through chapter 4, verse 3. So, uh, all that to say, I have to kick off with this statement. That's not fair. You ever heard that before? If you have kids, you've heard that, right? You've ever heard that before, you know exactly what I'm saying. I want you real quick, with the person, people you're with, answer this question uh, that you have. When's the last time you said that? Honestly said, that's not fair. Or last time you heard that? What were the circumstances that your kids or you or whatever said, that's not fair? So real quick with the people you're with, discuss that. When's the last time you said, that's not fair? Go ahead, take a second. Excuse me. Well, if you have never heard that in your life, you're a lucky person, or you don't have kids. One of the two is true in that statement. Uh, I, I could tell you lots of stories about me, but I don't want to get in a poor pity part about me, because I'm a negative person. I can find something that I always think is not fair. So I'll use someone else's story. When I was in high school, I remember me and Emily uh, were growing up in a youth group at uh, Highland Hills Baptist Church, which is off of Council, Northwest Expressway. And, and after every Wednesday night, or sorry, Sunday evening, we would go to Mazio's to go eat as a youth group, and that's what we would do. And so I remember we driving, we finally got our cars and stuff, and we head to Mazio's. Well, you get a bunch of teenagers in a car driving to the same location, what's going to happen? They're, they're going to start racing, right? I hate to tell you that. That's what they do. And so my best friend was going to Mazio's, and he was racing his girlfriend down Hefner uh, in his car down the road. And as they're racing down the road, lo and behold, as they're driving, uh, behind them, a police officer's lights began flashing. 
And so my friend Scott, my best friend Scott says, well, I'm going to make the wise decision here. I'm going to pull over and be responsible. And so he pulls over, but Laura keeps driving, and the cop stops at Scott and gives him a ticket, and Laura goes straight to Mazio's and gets away with it. And when he shows up at Mazio's, he was livid. I mean, he's like, that is just not fair. He goes, man, I stopped. I was responsible. She, like fled the police officers, and she got away with it, and she was like, thanks, Scott, appreciate it. Like, he was so incredibly angry, and he talked about it still to this day, uh, if you talk to him. I, I don't know if you can relate to a situation like that where you're saying, man, it's just, it's just not fair. Like, whatever circumstance, whatever situation's going on, and that's kind of today's question is, why is life not fair? And the big idea I want you to see that we're going to unpack today is this, is that God seeks justice for the persecuted, and so should we. Now, now you hear that, immediately some of you guys' back of your necks begin to tinge or whatever because of current circumstances going on in our world. And I know you get uptight, and, and I, I want to address the sensitivity of the issue today. Listen, I want to let you know, first and foremost, this is not a sermon that I sought out to seek and say, this, well, I need to address this or talk about it. Now, I sat back in early March, or late March, early April, to teach through Ecclesiastes, and this is naturally where it came to Scripture. And I want to let you know, as tempted as I may be, say, you know, I don't want to tackle this, I don't want to address it, I'm not going to skip over God's word, I'm going to teach what it says. And so I want you to understand there's not an agenda what's going on, but I do want you to address what Scripture says to it. Uh, I want you to think of it this way, injustice is not a, a democratic or republican issue. It's not a racial issue, white, black, whatever. It's not privileged, unprivileged, the rich or poor. It's a biblical issue. And you need to understand that. And so I'm going to ask you to please address it at a biblical level. Not a political, not a social, economical, or racial level. And that's what we want to look at. What does God say about injustice and the persecuted? How, how do we come about addressing this stuff? And so I don't know where you sit, where your thoughts, what your action is. I ask you to come with an open heart and open mind to see what does Ecclesiastes have to teach us. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump right into it. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 15. We ended last week where he talks about there's a time for this and a time for this. And talks about there's all sorts of seasons in life we go through. And he ends, what's interesting, in verse 15, he says this, and he kind of sums up what it, his whole meaning. He says, whatever is has already been, and whatever will be already is. He kind of just ends with, like, whatever, what is, is. Life is just, it is what it is. That's kind of what it is. But he transitions with this next part, which is an interesting translation, depending on the Bible you have. Mine says this, it goes, whatever is has already been, whatever will be already is. He says, however... God seeks justice for the persecuted. Now, if you have translations, a lot of scholars differ on how this is, because literally what that part says in the literal translation is, and God seeks that which is pursued or persecuted. Those words are kind of used interchangeably. And so depending on the translation, if you have an ESV version, for example, which is kind of a word-for-word -word translation, they translate like this, and God seeks what has been driven away. New American Standards is another kind of word-for-word -word translation. It says, for God seeks what has passed by. But if you go to like the NIV, which is kind of a thought for thought, if I were paraphrasing to make it more understandable, more uh, succinct in how I say it, it says it like this, and God will call the past into account. Or the Holman Christian Standard Bible says this, however, God seeks justice for the persecuted. Now, now, either way, it doesn't change the topic or direction of the sermon. It just really connects. Of, is he talking about what was just talked about before, or is he now transitioning to the next topic? Personally, when I read and studied, I feel like what translation I've read is the correct one. Is, however, God seeks justice for the persecuted. He, he goes from this, whatever is, is sort of thing, to this transition, say, well, but certain things should not be. 
I understand the world, there is certain things that we can't change, but at the same thing, time, there, there's certain things that just simply should not be. And I, I'll, I'll tell you why, so let's keep reading. Verse 16. He says, I also observed under the sun that there is wickedness at the place of judgment, and, and there's wickedness at the place of righteousness. I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked since there's a time for every activity and every work. He connects back to what he just said in earlier in verse 3, chapter 3. He said, I said to myself, this happens so that God may test the children of Adam and they may see for themselves that they are like animals. For the fate of children of Adam and the fate of animals is the same. You see, as one dies, so does, uh, dies another. Uh, they all have the same breath. See, people have no advantage over animals since everything is heavily. So you all are going to the same place. All come from dust and all return to dust. Who knows if the spirits of children of Adam go upward and the spirits of animals go downward to earth. I've seen that there's nothing better than for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward. For who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies? Again, verse chapter 4, he says, Again, I observed all the acts of oppression being done under the sun. Look at the tears of those who are oppressed. They have no one to comfort them. You see, power is with those who oppress them but they have no one to comfort them. So I commended the dead who have already died, more, more than the living who are still alive. But better than either of them is the one who has not yet existed, who has not seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. Now he comes and he unpacks and he says, listen, I, whatever is, is, and he kind of transitions, he's like, but there's persecution, there's this oppression in the world that just seems like it should not be. He goes and talks about these two different places, a place of judgment, a place of righteousness, which I'll unpack in a minute. And he says, God, God will judge both of those. Verse 18 says, I said to myself that, uh, that this happened so that God could test them. And he, he uses this reference to children of Adam, which describes our fallen state. He said people in some ways, when we remove God from the, the situation, the equation, there's kind of an animalistic behavior to what we like, the survival of the fittest. Isn't that true? Like, we don't really care about other people. It just seems to be we just fall into just humanity of itself. And our fate, when we remove God from the situation, is no different than those of animals. And what hope do we actually have? He said, I've seen there's nothing better than just to enjoy what we do have in many ways. And he begins, he comes and says, I see all this in verse chapter 4. He says, look at, he said, there's tears of those who are hurting, yet no one comforts them. And he ends with this very morbid kind of uh, horrible statement in chapter 2. He says, so I commended the dead, those who are already dead, so they don't have to continue to see what's going on. But, but yet, better than those who are seeing what's going on, those who have died, are the ones who have not even lived yet, or who may not ever exist, so they don't have to experience what is being seen here. Like, like what is going on here? Like, what is Solomon's issue with this? Like, what is he trying to unpack? And, and I'd like to quote uh, one of my old pastors growing up at Highland Hills, Todd Fisher, who's at Emmanuel Baptist Shawnee. He, he kind of said it like this. He said, Solomon's issue is not that there is injustice in the world. That, that's a fact of life, right? Wherever you go, there's going to be injustice. We just, that, that's part of fallen humanity. And so to say, well, yeah, you know, there's injustice. Yes, we all know that. But his issue, as Todd says, is where injustice is occurring. That's where his issue is. Because he unpacks two places. Look at verse 16. He says that I observed under the sun that there is wickedness at the place of judgment. The place of judgment, as understand, it's the court of law. He's like, listen, in the law system, there's injustice going on here, then it should not be this way. I don't know if you've ever been to a court and had something go awry. There's times when we can go and get uh, judged or go through the court system and it just seems like, man, there's something not right about how the sentence got played out or whatever. For me, it was in high school, my first speeding ticket I ever got. 
You see, I was 16 years old. I was dating this hottie that's now sitting on the front row right now. And it was Valentine's Day, and I'm like, how am I going to afford it? I don't have any money. And so I went and cashed in my piggy bank, and in my piggy bank, I had $12.50. Man, I was so excited. And so I get on the car, and I start driving to Walmart, because that's what you do with $12.50. And as I'm driving down Wilshire on this road, I pick up my phone, and I call my mom. I'm like, hot diggity, I got $12.50. I'm about to go buy her something good from Walmart. And as I'm driving 35 miles an hour down uh, Wilshire, I'm going down. I look up as I'm talking to my uh, talking to my mom, and flashing lights come up, and I realized at that moment that it was a construction zone, and the speed limit was 15, which if you don't know, doubles your ticket and makes it worse. He pulls me over, I put the phone on my lap, and I tell him, like, guys, listen, I'm so sorry, I was so excited, I have $12.50 in pennies that I cashed in, I'm getting my girlfriend something awesome. He goes, oh, I understand, Whoosh, gives me the ticket. I'm so frustrated. So me and my dad go to the court, and we're like, we're going to get out of this ticket, we're going to go explain our case, and we're standing in line, waiting our turn before the judge to explain our case, and in front of me are two very good-looking girls, they're teenage girls, they're about my same age. The first girl goes up for the judge, and she says something to the nature, I might exaggerate this part, but it makes me feel better, she said something to the nature, like I was driving 50 miles over the speed limit down the highway just for fun, and he goes, well, you seem like a sweet, innocent little girl, so don't let it happen again, and she goes by. The next one comes up. She's like, I ran five stop signs going to where I was going. He says, listen, don't make this mistake, honey. Just don't do it again. I'm thinking, awesome. And I come up, and I explain my situation. I tell him what was going on. My dad comes up, and he has never said anything nice about it. No, I'm kidding. He's never come up. And he said, listen, I don't like to let my son get a big head, but he's a very responsible kid, made an honest mistake. And the judge says, doesn't sound very responsible to me. And my chin and my jaw just dropped. I said, What? He said, listen, this is what I'm going to do because I'm a kind judge. I'm going to send you to eight hours of defensive driving. You're going to pay all the court fees, then come back. Then I will decide if you're worthy to get out of your speeding ticket. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Now, maybe that story wasn't to a T like that, but that's how my kids are going to understand it growing up when I tell the story over and over to them. There's sometimes something else to say. It's not fair. And he talks about the court system. The, the other place he talks about, he says the place of righteousness. The place of righteousness is clearly the temple or the church. He's like, in God's house, there seems to be wickedness there. there. There seems to be something going on. Now listen, we live in a fallen world. We understand this. But these institutions, you have to understand, understand were established by God and represent his name. Now, now most of us wouldn't argue with the church system, but we say, well, the judicial system, are you serious? Well, look at Romans 13.1. It says, let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. You see, we know there's something wrong, but there, in these systems, there's something that should be different. He's like, listen, you shouldn't see wickedness in this place, but yet we do. We see it in the church. We see it in the world. We see it everywhere. And so the question when I read this is goes, well, why doesn't, as I was reading for this myself, why doesn't God do something about it? Like if God sees this injustice, why doesn't he jump in and stop this wickedness? And the answer ultimately in verse 17 is he will. He will someday. It says, I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked since there's a time for everything. But the question is, why hasn't he yet? Like, why, why hasn't he done it? Well, ultimately, verse 17 at the end, it, it's just not time yet. He says there's a time for everything, a time for every activity. I, I don't understand why God does not come in and put justice in places in where he expects it to be. I may never understand. My reconciliation and faith comes in the fact that I know someday he will. Let me, let me say that again. I know someday that he will. But ultimately, all the things we see as he said, like this was all the tests, is ultimately make us realize that what we're seeing now is just is not it. 
There's something that ultimately this wickedness in the world should point us, this injustice in the world should point us and say, listen, there is a holy God, and what I'm seeing here is not it. And it lights us long. It's that eternity God put in our heart to long for something more. There's something about that. It reminds us to rise above. And so we read that, and the question immediately comes to me, and I said, so my job is to trust God to take care of it. Like, God will take care of it, and so I need to seek vindication and allow God to ultimately handle this, right? Well, no. My job is to be and represent God's agenda on earth, plain and simple. Look at Ecclesiastes 3, you don't have to look there, 3.15, verse uh, says this, God seeks the justice for persecuted. Micah 6.8 says, what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God? 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, we are ambassadors for Christ. And so God, we're pleading through us. We implore you, Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, God wants us to represent his agenda. That's what he wants us to do, represent his agenda on earth. And so I don't know where you guys are at right now, whether you're ready to walk out of this service or what. The question that we come to today is this, is what, what do you expect of me, right? What do you expect me to do? Now, let me just say real quick, listen, I, I do not expect, I do not expect you to jump on some sort of trending cause because it's trending. I, I don't expect that. That's unwise and, un, and foolish just to jump into what's going on. Nor do I expect us to ignore what's going on. I expect us to look at chapter 4, verse 1, and follow what he says. He says, look at the tears who are oppressed. He says, they have no one to comfort them. He says it twice, as a matter of fact. He emphasizes that they have no one to comfort them. They have no one that comes and comfort those who are oppressed. Can I say this? If I sum it up simply, I expect you to sit, to listen, to learn, and to help. That seems confusing. She's enjoying this service right here. I wish you guys got this excited. You guys act like I just did something awful, and she's getting after it. Come on now, get excited. I, I expect you to sit. I expect you to listen. I expect you to learn. I expect you to help. L let me illustrate like this. Any given day in my household, you will hear this statement, that's not fair, right? And generally, it's one of my kids, either something else, but more than often, it's between the two of them. And real realistically, this is what you'll see. You will walk in my house, and you will see my daughter Hallie, or hear my daughter Hallie, crying, run across the house, run to her room, and slam the door. Now, now right there, something is going on, and most of the time, it's because her sister has hurt her. She, she's crying because she hurts. Now, I will tell you, mine and Emily's response nearly every time we see this is an eye roll. Oh, my gosh. And we begin saying, your turn, no, your turn, no, your turn, no, your turn, doing that right there. You, you understand? You, ever, you sympathize with that? We try to begin to tally up who's been the better parent, and now it's your turn to step up to the plate. And, and here's the thing. Listen, it's hard for me not to honestly want to ignore it. You think maybe it'll just go away. My daughter will get over it. Listen, she just, I'm so sick of this round and round thing. It, it's also hard for me, you have to understand, not to be prejudiced, to have my mind already made up. Because let me just say this. One daughter in my household, I won't say, tends to distort the truth more than often. I'm not going to say which one because they might be watching this, Okay. But, but the reality is, and here's what bothers me even more about that statement, is I'm surprised at how often I'm wrong about that. When I go with already my mind made up and say, this is what it's going to be, and I come sit down, and, and it's actually different than what I expected to be. You see, you have to understand, like, I always, for me, I always go check. Even though I don't want to, I don't like, but you know why I go check? Because, because that's my daughter, and she's hurting. Right or wrong, 
As a loving father, when she hurts, I hurt. Now, you have to understand, as a father, my responsibility, I feel, is to go sit with her and be with her. It's to help her to find justice if she has been wronged. Or my job is to go sit with her and help her understand justice if she's misunderstanding it. Do you understand? And so my daughter, I will have to go in there and talk to her and say, listen, you have been wrong. Let's right this wrong. Or I'll come sit with her and say, listen, you're misunderstanding this whole situation. You see, you've had a part to play in this as well, to educate her on what's going on. Either way, that help only truly comes by me going to her and sitting. And I have to cry with her. Because when she's sobbing over tears, listen, there's nothing to be heard. There's nothing I'm going to say that's going to help her. Just to be present. It takes me listening to what's going on because it's already hard for me to tell her how she's wrong and already jumped to my preconceived conclusions and have to listen to why she's wounded, to learn from her heart, like, why is this hurting you so much? And when it comes in, to help her then once I understand the situation. You see, there's a process for my daughter. I love her. And you need to understand that, listen, for people who love and care for me will do the same for my kids. You know why? Because they understand how much I love them. You see, like Ian's wife, Cassidy, watches our kids throughout the week, and if she cares about mine and Emily's heart, when my daughter's hurting, no matter how foolish it is, if she cares about us, she's going to do the same because she understands how much our kids mean to us. She's going to go sit, listen, learn, and help. If I'm worthy of their time, listen, you have to understand, my kids are worthy of their time too. You see, the way to a father's heart, I know this from my own life and from where I read scripture, is through his kids. You want to say you love me? Then, then love my kids. Treat them well. That's how you truly show me. Like, don't, don't bless me. Bless my kids. Nothing brings me more joy because those are the things that mean so much to me in life. And, and so when I read this text, what does it say? It says, look at the tears of those who are oppressed. They have no one to what? Comfort them. It says it again. It's the powers with the oppressed, those who oppress them, yet they have, they have, no, one, they have no one to comfort them. Listen, I just want to be honest. When I read that, that text bothers me. But regardless of where you stand or why you, what you believe is true, children of God, when they hurt, it hurts God too, and God wants his people to come sit with them and be with them. And so for me, for me, when I read the situation, I'm compelled out of love for God to intentionally come and sit, to, to, to listen, to, to learn, and to help. And maybe sometimes the outcome is to help them fight for justice. Other times it's helped them understand justice better and say, maybe you're misunderstanding the situation. But either way, to ignore the cries and to let them sit there and hurt, it's just to be unloving to God's children in a way it is. Yeah, I want to tell you, like, this is not just a prejudice thing we got going on. This is just across the board what's going on. You want to see this in action at its finest, in all seriousness? On Monday nights, go to Exchange Avenue and watch Keith Brody love on the homeless. I'm telling you right now, I've went there, and it's hard for me not to go, ah, I don't want to get too close to these people. I don't know. And think, man, if they just worked harder, like they'd get out of it. But yeah, I watch this man. He walks, and he sits with them. He hugs on them. He listens to their cry. He learns what's going on, and he meets their needs and help. That that is what it looks like to come and be with God's children. If you don't know what it looks like, I'm serious. Go sit and watch that in action. God has called us for those who are persecuted, for the oppressed. God never stands on the side of the oppressor in Scripture. He's always on the side of the oppressed. And so we have to come wrestle with what are we going to do. And so I go back to my big idea, is that God seeks justice for the persecuted, and so should we. And so I'm going to ask Matt to come up. We're going to have a different time at the end of the service right now. I don't know where you're at, because I'll be honest, like, if I preached this sermon three months ago, that there might be a different reception than what's going on right now. But the reality is there's something in our world that's hitting us right here. And this is not just to the racially unjust, this is for the impoverished, this is whatever. We need to sit here and process.
And, and so I'm going to ask you where you're sitting to do this for me. I'm going to ask you just to spend a second in praying. For praying for your own heart and say, God, who, who have you placed around my life that are hurting, that feel oppression, that feel persecution? Like, I don't know about you, but I struggle to already have my mind made up on every situation to say, you know what, I, I already know what's going on here. And so where you're at, just right there in that home, I ask you to do the same thing. Take a second and just pray and say, God, listen, I just pray you to open my mind and my heart to what's going on. If there's someone in my life that I can go sit, whether it's a homeless person, whether it's someone who uh, feels like they just are stuck in a rut in a situation they can't get out of, someone feel like injustice, whether it's the church, man, if there's people who have been turned away because they have felt unloved or not accepted at this place, man, we, we have dropped the ball somewhere. And so where you're at with your head bowed, your eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to do that for just a second. Just pray that God would open your heart and your mind. I ask you prayer for God's children. Maybe some you don't even know. Pray that they're hurting, that, that somebody would comfort them. Maybe your prayer needs to be, God, use me this week. Put, put my, my life in line with someone that I wasn't expecting. Maybe it's a neighbor that I know that needs it. Maybe it's a coworker that I know that needs this. Maybe it's a person I've met at Exchange Avenue or met somewhere else that I know that needs this. God, how, comfort them. Pray that, pray that God would use our church to reach people that aren't reached. To be a church that would not be that church that is known for its wickedness in the place of righteousness. The, the, the church that fights and represents God's agenda here on earth. God, humble my heart. God, there's so much anger and bitterness in the world from all, all this perfect storm of stuff going on right now. God, the, the message of a loving father has been missed. God, tune my, my eyes and my heart to see where you want me to see, to listen where I need to listen. God, I, I pray that you would put my life in line sometimes with this week with someone that I can sit and just listen.
Just listen. Sometimes, I know with my daughter, she just needs a shoulder to cry on. Whether it's people down at Exchange Avenue, whether it's people that don't look like us and are around us, God, whoever it is, God, I, I pray you would allow us to intentionally, allow me to intentionally seek someone out, God. God, I want to represent your cause, your mission. God, I pray that I can make the gospel so abundantly known through my life and my actions that nothing else matters. God, I praise you for being faithful and just. I pray that you stir some hearts today in the right way. God, I pray if there's anybody that's angry or bitter about this sermon, God, I, I welcome them to come talk to me. But God, I, I, just, I, just, I pray you help them to sleep on it one night and just allow you just to marinate on their heart. God, I praise you for being faithful. I praise you for being just. I praise you for being present. God, I praise you for sending your people to do your work. I love you so much, and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, we're going to continue to worship. Um, as you leave, if you want to give your tithes and offerings in the buckets that are there, or give online, we encourage you to do that. If this is just a difficult season for you, hey, I understand. If you want to talk to me, I, I would love nothing more. Um, God is good. Let's not forget that. So...